It's good to see you. Um, if it's your first time here, I know there's some new faces here in the room. Uh, welcome. It's great to see you. I'm sorry, I think the guys will just adjust my voice a little bit. Uh, that hum is just, I don't know, God, some power, something like that. I thought I'd get a little into the summary mood for today and just celebrate the beginning of the year and the heat that we've got. But it is nice just seeing some of the faces I haven't seen yet. I know um, there's probably some things to celebrate in the room. I know Julia got seven A's in matric at the end of the year. So it's really cool to celebrate that with her. Um, not too bad, hey? Not too bad. Um, and on top of that, I know Nick and Natalie got engaged uh, just at the end of the year. So they're sitting just back there. So well done for putting a ring on that finger. That's a really cool moment. And um, also we've got Amy and Robbie sitting in the back who got married in the U.S. I don't know if we've celebrated that here as a community before, but it's nice seeing you guys at the back. So if there's other news I missed, I'm so sorry. I'm just kind of picking up some faces as I go. But we are starting a new two-week preaching series today called Life Together, where we want to look at how Harbor City builds community and makes disciples through life groups. Now, if you're new to church or that language is foreign to you, really life groups are these small groups of people from this church that meet together during the week all around the city to really, um, I guess, share life together and on top of that to grow in our faith. Because that's really what we want. We want to be transformed more into the image of Jesus and get to know him and understand and live out his ways better. So I, I think this is another thing that we need to break down in our thinking. Some of us use this language. I know I do it all the time. I say, I'll see you at church on Sunday. So you think this is church. But really, it's not, you know. This is the church gathering together on a Sunday to worship and to pray and to learn and to grow and to be together. I think it would be so sad if really church was just this hour and a half, two-hour meeting once a week when we get together. So really, Harbor City expresses ourselves in so many different ways. And one of the ways that we do that is by breaking up into these small groups in homes all around the city where we can eat together and pray together and worship together and learn together and ask questions and see what God is wanting to do, to practice being the people of God together as a community. Now, for many of us, I think this year has started and we've done the usual thing, you know, New Year's resolutions or new habits or new whatever you want to call it so you don't feel bad when you start to break it uh, just in a month's time. And I think some of you have probably got the new diet thing going, got the new exercise plan going, or maybe like you're more spiritual, you've, you've looked at how you use your time and your calendar or your budgeting or something. But really one of the things we want to encourage you to do at the beginning of the year that we think will be transformative for you in being part of this community and also in your relationship with Jesus is to join a life group, to join a small group of people in this church where you can be known and where you can grow. And what I wanted to do is just share some of my experience with this, why we believe this is so important. So about 14 years ago, I joined the church that I came from, Red Point, because of a girl. The most cliche kind of church story that you can imagine. And I remember going into that church and I went and I found a seat and I sat down. And I did that because, you know, I was there for the church event, like the big show, you know. I wasn't there to meet people. I wasn't there to make friends. I was there to do the singing and the listening part, you know. So I sat down and week in and week out, people would come up to me and they would introduce themselves and ask me questions about my lives and be super friendly and do the hugging thing, which was super new and foreign to me. And I would think, wow, these people are so loving and friendly and kind. What do they want from me? Like I was immediately cynical of what was going on in this room, as I'm sure maybe some of you are. You visiting here today, maybe you're thinking the same kind of thing. But then a few weeks later, after being in the church, sitting down, doing the whole church thing, I was invited by someone to join a life group. And in God's providence, just the way he did this with me, I knew the guy. 
uh, I'd studied, oh, sorry, not studied, I'd played water polo when I was at high school. And this guy had been part of the SA water polo team and he'd coached me, he'd trained me. So we had a bit of a relationship. And in God's providence, not only did I know the guy, but he lived across the road. So when I say that I was 82 Emilwaney, he was 83 Emilwaney Road. So literally I could walk across the road and just be there at Life Group. And in God's providence, when I walked into that lounge that first night, I knew three other people in the room. One of them I was at school with, one of them had been at the church I'd been at before, and one of them had been my best friend. I just didn't know that they were going to be there that evening. It was like a really amazing kind of moment for me. And going into that group was a big change. You know, being on church on Sundays in this big community, it was easy to blend into the crowd and be unknown and slip in and slip out. But now all of a sudden I was sitting in a lounge with about 10 people, some who knew me already, and they were starting to ask me questions and getting to know me. And week in and week out, our friendships were developing and getting closer and closer and closer. And this was powerful for me. You know, all of a sudden I was known in the church and I started to have church friends. And these people were starting to, I guess, show me something of what the church could look like and answer my questions out of the Bible and about all this church stuff I just didn't understand. And over time, these relationships were becoming more and more important to me and I was growing and changing in that space. And I've got these few significant snapshots in my mind of what happened over those weeks and over that first year that really did change my life. I remember being in that group and starting to meet those friends, and every week as we went, the guy who was leading the group would teach. You know, he'd open the Bible and he'd share on a topic, and then there'd be like room to discuss and ask questions. And I was coming in very, very green to the Bible, you know? So every week was completely new to me. I was learning stuff all of the time, and as soon as uh, people would go down one rabbit hole or ask a question, it would be like, I would hyperlink into that. Okay, cool, let's talk about that for a while. Let's ask questions about that. And I would generally, because, I don't know, I'm a weird person. I'd be the first to arrive, last to leave, like everyone else would be going, and I'd still be sitting there. Sure, I'm happy for another cup of tea. Let's keep talking about that. I'd love to learn more about that. And it was profound for me, you know. I absolutely loved what I was learning and how I was growing. And on top of just the information side, I think what I was watching being modeled by the people in the group was profound. So in that group, I I listened to and watched people pray. And I heard the words that they prayed, but more than that, the tone and the way that it seemed like they really loved God and knew Him and were speaking to Him out of a a relationship, not out of a duty. And I watched the way they worshipped. And you know what, uh, if you've been in a life group before, what worship in life group can be like? You've got a mediocre musician with a mediocre voice, and no offense if this is you, leading a group of people, and we're all singing together, and it's just ugly. It's a beautiful noise unto the Lord, but for everyone in the room, like the, it doesn't sound amazing, you know? And I remember being in that lounge and just loving watching this. These people love him. Their eyes are closed. They're singing the words. It seems like there's like deep passion and joy and love in their hearts. And it was also the first place where I experienced prophecy, like people asking the Holy Spirit if there was something he was wanting to say, and then sharing things, like I feel like God might be wanting to say this to you, and feeling like God was just speaking straight into my life and into my situation. These were profound formative moments for me in those early days. But it wasn't just kind of learning and growing and for me, I was also inconvenienced in this group. And I remember these two particular moments. I remember getting this phone call during the day as a student, And basically my life group leader said, can you go? There's a snake in the ceiling at my house. My wife is there with the baby. They're terrified. So I ran across the road because I was right there with my spade. I'm sorry if you love snakes, but 
to kill the snake, and I did, you know, protected his family. And on top of that, I remember like one Sunday evening, 9 p.m., it's raining, I'm probably in my boxes on the couch watching a movie, and I get this call, I need your help, okay, what do you need? There's this family I've met who are in huge trouble. They've got this little baby with them, and they're wanting to get all the way to Cato Ridge, and I need you to come with me and help me and help with my wife and daughter and all of this stuff. Okay, put on clothes, get in the car, drive. It's raining. wasn't great on the roads. I realized in that moment that in this group, it wasn't just going to be about me learning. I was going to be inconvenienced because we were friends, and whether I liked it or not, this was part of the whole package deal, you know? So I was in for all of this Tuesday night thing. But this was life together in the church and in this group that we had. And I got invited to dinners before life groups started. I remember like there were a whole bunch of students in this group. So I don't know what time it would be. Generally around 10 o'clock life group, we would leave and we'd hop in the car and we would race down to Pavilion because back in the day, Tuesday night was half price movies. And we'd try to get there for quarter past 10 to watch the movie. We'd get home at like one or two, whatever time it was. Those were the glory days of university, you know? <laughs> But moments like that and moments like going to McDonald's after church on a Sunday evening were both um, really unhealthy moments, but also significant moments for me in my faith because I was making friends, you know? I was making friends in this church, people who I knew, who I liked, who I had fun with, and I was starting to belong and be a part of the church. And I think all of those things probably sound so basic and ordinary, and they really, really are. There's nothing special about them. But the, the big reality about that is when we invite, we include people. And when we include people, we build community. And I think for us, some of these very simple practices that we can put in place are transformative for one another's lives and in building the kind of community we want to see here in Harbor City. And this is key. I know this is a word we talk about a lot, but this is key because God has designed us for community. You know, from the beginning of time, before the world existed, before God created anything, before Jesus walked this earth, God existed. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, theologians call the Trinity, in this perfect community all the way into eternity past. And they loved each other, and they hung out, and they were happy, one God in three persons. And one day they made us, in their image. So we also have this need and desire for community, both with one another, but also with God, our maker. And we will not be satisfied without those things. But also throughout scripture, we see this idea of community being built. And particularly in the book of Acts, I'd love you to go and read that book sometime this year. We see the community of the early church and what this church family begins to look like. So Acts 2 verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple courts or the Sunday gatherings like we're doing today, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. What I love there is the and, you know. They're there for the Sunday gathering and they're in each other's homes. That's where they seem to be taking communion and eating together and hanging out and praying and worshiping and chatting and laughing and killing snakes of their life group leader when they call them, you know. That's the church as family. That's the picture we see in the New Testament of what we're called to live, live out. It's life together centered around Jesus. And I think there's something so compelling about it, you know. I think this idea of this deep church community where we know one another and where we love one another and where we practice and live out the ways of Jesus is so profound to proclaim and demonstrate that the gospel of Jesus is true. It's true. 
and Shane brought it up again this morning, but actually for maybe some of you in this room today or some of your friends or some of your stories with God, you needed to belong before you could believe, you know? And for us as a community of people, can we demonstrate that this message is important to us by the way we live it out, flesh it out, embody it in our daily lives, that others could see that this is true and this is real. I remember my early days in that life group, probably third or fourth time that I went in my first year. I remember going, probably left at about nine, half past nine, and I walked probably a kilometer around the corner um, to my friend's house. And I left one table where we were kind of gathered around a Bible doing this life group thing and went to another table where we were gathered around a glass of vodka and playing coinage. And back in the day, I knew how to bounce a coin. So we had some fun together that evening. But it was this profound thing that I realized I had two communities. I had this church community and this high school friends community, you know. And over time, what started to happen with me is the church community became more and more compelling. You know, I'm still friends with all of those guys from high school. I still love them. I'm still in contact with them. But being in this community of the church, I was starting to see the way people loved one another and the way people prayed and worshiped, as I spoke about already, and actually just this deep sense of community that they had, which was centered around Jesus and which had this incredible purpose to make disciples, to help people come to know Jesus all around the world in Durban and beyond. It was a profound mission or purpose which started to really grab hold of my life and drew me in more and more and more. And I just thought this morning what I'd love us to do is to zoom in a little bit on what that kind of community can look like. So a while ago, I went online and I looked up something I'd heard about, which were the 59 one another's of the New Testament. So this guy by the name of Carl George obviously counted. He went through the New Testament and he found every example of this that he could find. And we'll pop that online on our website and a blog this week for you to have a bit of a look at. But I started to look at these things, which we can't practice on our own. You know, there's this reality that the New Testament in many ways is written not to individuals, but to communities like Harbor City about what it looks like to follow Jesus and to live out our faith. And these 59 one another commands are written in the scriptures as things that we are called to obey as part of a community like this. So I thought this morning we'd look at a few different examples. Romans 12 verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. I think as we look at that, probably the word love should jump out first. It's the first word we see. But brotherly is kind of the adjective that describes what this love is meant to be like. You know, that is the sort of love that Paul is calling us to. And probably over Christmas for a lot of us, I know not all of us in this room, we spend time with our family, you know. Shell and I were incredibly lucky. Her sister and brother-in-law came all the way out from Hong Kong. My sister, brother-in-law, and their two beautiful little daughters came out from England. And we just got incredible family time with her family and my family and the families together. It was very, very sweet and special. We don't always get that, but this year it was great. And obviously with family not being around all the time, we wanted to really milk and max out those times together. So with my sister, I decided, okay, I want to I think of what things we can do that are special, you know. Took her out for a little brother-sister uh, date, a little coffee and cake together, and just caught up and spoke about some stuff. Shell is so incredibly good with presents, so she was thinking, what can we get for these two little girls to make their time here special? So we got them cute little costumes, this little blow-up pool that they played in and they really loved. We got special presents for my sister and her husband, and Shell's sister and their husband, and we served one another, and we ate together, and we chatted, and we just really enjoyed. We maximized that time, you know. It's special family time. And I don't know like what your family habits or practices are, the things that you do around Christmas or the things you do in the weeks and months, but that is the kind of thing that Paul is calling us to here. 
the kind of memories and special things we did together, Paul is calling us in the church to love one another with that same kind of love and commitment and sacrifice and unconditional enjoyment of each other. And that's what we want to practice in life group. Paul doesn't write there and say, love one another in the church as good mates. He says, love one another with a brotherly love, a sisterly love for one another. And we want to grow in learning what that looks like and understand it better and do it. doesn't mean we have to call each other brother and sister. I know that's kind of a more traditional old school church thing. It can sound really cool or it can sound really cultish. So if you're comfortable, you can go with it. But we want to actually live that stuff out together. Maybe a second thing. Galatians 5.13, serve one another in love. 1 Peter 4.10, similarly, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens. And I looked at that word burdens. You know, a burden is like a load or a trouble, something that would weigh you down. And I thought of a time a few years ago, Brennan and Kim lived in this beautiful uh, flat on the first floor of this building, and they were moving into a new home. Kimmy had fallen pregnant. They needed more space. It was big time for them. And I remember getting there at like 8 or 9 in the morning with a whole bunch of people, and we started to move stuff into this bucky to take it to their new home. But there was one thing in their apartment that they couldn't get out. It was this really big couch, which they'd lifted in through the window, and we needed to lift out through the window, you know? So I remember there were like five of us by the window with ropes wrapping around this couch, and we started to lower it out. And I think there were some people at the bottom stopping it and kind of stopping it from smashing the windows or hitting the sides or breaking or dropping or whatever it was. And it was like really fun, you know? Uh, boys really enjoy that kind of weird thing. So we we're having fun lowering this down. And the one guy, Hayden, the number one man, wrapped the rope around his stomach and he put his feet to the wall and he like belayed this couch down out of the window. And I mean, we were all involved in the process, but Hayden was all in. You know, if that couch fell, Hayden was going to die. He was all or nothing for that couch because this mattered. And I think that's a good picture of what it means in Galatians 6.2. You know, we carry one another's burdens. It's not like we're just involved with each other's lives. We're all in. Like I'm wrapping your issues around my stomach and I'm letting them down out the building down below. If you go, I go. And this is what a part of what church and our life groups is meant to look like. This is part of what our relationships are meant to look like. We're all in for one another because Christianity is a team sport. It is a team sport. There's no lone rangers in this. So this kind of assumes a few things. You know, if we're going to carry each other's struggles and burdens, it does assume that we're asking each other questions. Like, what is going on in your life? Like, how's work? How's um, your family? What's God doing with you? On top of that, it kind of assumes that we're going to be willing to open up and share some of this stuff, you know? We're willing to let people into our hearts and the realities of our lives that they can know what is going on, our deepest, darkest secrets, and all of these realities that we would be known. And I know some of you are thinking, goodness me, this sounds so touchy-feely. Like, I can't do that kind of thing at all. You know, it's not life group. It's like tissue group or cry group or feelings group or something like that. That is not what we are aiming for in life groups, you know. If every conversation you have is a very emotional conversation, pouring out your deepest, darkest secrets, that's not helpful either. But there should be moments and opportunities where we share who we are, our struggles, our dreams, our desires, uh, the things that we need prayer for, so that we can build real community and relationship. Because that's what it is. Real community is where we are known at the deepest possible level, and where we kind of unmask our sins, our struggles, our idols, and where people love us anyway. That's the kind of thing we're trying to build in this church and community.
Fifthly, Ephesians 4.32, forgiving each other. I want to make you a promise if you're visiting this church today. Eventually, if you commit to being part of this church, someone will hurt you or offend you or sin against you. It's not like a promise that I make because it's like a selling point, but it's a reality of church life. And there's probably three stages for us of maturity in being part of the church where we deal with this thing. The first is idealism. Grant is speaking about the kind of church community that we want, and I want that too. I love this picture in the Bible. This is the dream. I want this loving, supportive, encouraging, challenging family. I want to be part of that. I want his story. But then something happens down the line where someone sins against you or lets you down or offends you or doesn't act this out, and then there's disappointment. Why is he not doing what Grant said? Like, why are they not living out that thing that the Bible talked about? Why would he not invite me to his party? Or why would they not text me about this thing? Or why did they say they would do that and they didn't? And we get disappointed. And it's so easy in that moment where someone sins against us, offends us, drops the ball, disappoints us, to say I'm out. This is the big dropout point for a lot of people with the church. It's like, okay, this church is fake. This church is hypocritical. This church is not living out what it says it should. I'm out. And it's justified in a sense. This church is full of hypocrites. This church is full of sinners. This church is full of flawed people. This church is full of broken people. I'm one of them, you know. And the reality is you will be disappointed somewhere in the story. But we're called to go beyond that level into the third level of maturity, which is commitment. You know, we want to be idealistic. I'm the most idealistic person in the room. I see this blueprint of what the church should look like, and I'm dreaming of it for Harbor City. I'm praying for it. I want to see that formed in us together. But I know at the same time, every one of us is a sinner, and every one of us needs grace. So I'm committed to you. I hope you're committed to me, despite your flaws and failings and mine. Actually, we commit to one another because that's what Jesus has done for us. You know, the reality is when we've failed him, when we've sinned against him, when we've offended him, when we haven't included him in our lives, whatever it is, he hasn't rejected us. He hasn't said, I'm dropping out of this relationship. He is committed to us even when we fail. And the ultimate picture of that is the cross. Jesus, when we were in sin, when we weren't interested in him, when we rejected him, was so committed to us that he was willing to bleed and die on the cross for our sins, that we could be reconciled to God and to one another. That's how committed Jesus is to us. And that's how he treats us. I want you to know that community is harder, but community is better than a kind of isolated and independent life. And I want to invite you into it in this church. The cross actually gives us this incredible reason to be idealistic, but not overly idealistic because we know about each other's sins, you know? The cross actually gives us a reason to not be disappointed in one another because of God's incredible grace to us and to one another. And the cross gives us a reason to stay committed to one another even when we let each other down or sin or disappoint one another because Jesus is committed to us even when we fail. Sixthly, James 5.16 Confess your sins to each other. We love to be that kind of a church where we trust one another, where we're a safe place for one another, where we can do the grace and truth thing. This is the truth of where I am. Please will you pray with me and encourage me to grow and change. We want to be a grace-centered community. Seventhly, Hebrews 7 verse 10 verse 24. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. A bit of a gracious, challenging encouragement. Eighthly, James 5 verse 9, don't grumble against each other. We've got any grumblers in the house today? Anyone want to own their grumbling about other people in the church? Got one over here. 
<laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> not in the church. You are oh, very kind. But actually, this, this idea about not grumbling about one another is the thing about love. Actually, we're going to love each other with our words. We're not going to grumble about people. We're not going to slander people. We're not going to gossip about people. We're not going to dishonor people with our words. Actually, because we're going to choose to love one another with our words. No cutting others down to feel better. Rather, build one another up with the things we say. And lastly, James 5.16, pray for one another. It's about another 50 in that list that you're welcome to go and study through the New Testament to find, or you can Google it or we'll put it online this week. But that is what life together in Harbor City should look like and is growing and maturing to look like over time. Now listen, as our church keeps growing, there's a reality that there is more possibility for people to slip through the cracks. It is a harder thing for us to practice community than when we're this size or even smaller, you know? There's more people, new people. Sometimes we don't even notice those people or don't get their names or forget their names or we can't know everyone's story. We're just at that place already as a church. And I know some of you over the next few years, as we grow bigger and bigger, are going to be saying things like, oh, I miss when Harbor City was just this size. Or I miss when we were a church that was like that. We've lost that sense of intimacy and community. You know, oh, those were the good old days. You know, I think I'm, I might move on. And just there's this reality that actually we need for the sake of the city around us to not think like that. Actually, there are so many people in the city of Durban who need a church, who need Jesus, who need to hear about his grace and his love and his truth, that we always need to have space for more people. But what we want to do in life groups is to create a smaller space where this church can break into smaller groups of people, where we can practice family, where we can know one another, where we can challenge one another, where we can do all of those things that we're talking about, and we can feel a part. We can experience the intimacy of community. That is why our life groups are so important. And we want to really invest into that and help you to get connected. If you're new to this church or you feel like you're on the outskirts of this church, I really want to encourage you to join a group to be part of the community. Or if you have been part of this church for a long time, I think life groups are probably the best place that you are going to be growing. Or, you know, you could be... Um, I guess just needing to live out these one another's of the New Testament. Actually, you've gotten out of the habit of doing some things and you need to be in community to be held accountable in a sense and to be known and to be spurred on to all of this. The reality is we need a personal relationship with Jesus, but we also need a personal relationship with people in the church where we are known and can know one another. Jesus teaches us that... Um, to grow spiritually, we need to be connected relationally. Christianity is a team sport. We can't do this stuff alone. And life groups are how we practice this together as a church. I think my last point of the moment should be the most convincing for all of us, and it's this. Jesus Christ himself was a life group leader and was someone who practiced life groups. And maybe you've seen this before. Jesus, the most important person that's ever lived. Jesus, the person whose time was more valuable and important than anyone who ever walked this earth and had the most important purpose. Jesus was here to die on the cross, to reconcile the world to God and to one another, to transform everything from the problem of sin that we face. He had the most significant life of anyone that ever lived on the face of this earth. So you can think that there's lots of things that he could cut out to prioritize the main thing. But Jesus, after living for 30 years and living and preparing for what he was gonna do, spent the last three years of his life in ministry, pouring out himself into other people. And he chose in the busyness and importance of what he had to do to lead a group and to prioritize a group. 
And Jesus lived the last three years of his life with 12 guys who he did everything with. So these guys would have seen him teaching, preaching, healing, casting out demons, doing miracles. They would have seen Jesus eating food around a table with people he didn't know in these towns he'd never been to before, just doing ministry around dinner. They would have bride with Jesus on the beach. They would have fished with Jesus. They would have road tripped with Jesus all around Israel. I think they had some really good stories to tell, you know. And this group that Jesus had was incredibly diverse. You know, Durban is such a diverse city. I think in the groups that we have in this church, we should see very different and interesting people make up groups, people that are different to you, people you've got tons you can learn from, people who've got stories to tell of things that you've never heard of or thought of before. But that's what Jesus' group looked like, you know? Firstly, he had the four blue-collar fishermen, uh, James, John, Peter, and Andrew, who were part of that group. Then he had Simon the Zealot. He was this political figure who believed in the violent overthrow of Rome. And then kind of on the other end of the spectrum, he had Matthew or Levi the tax collector. Now Matthew had betrayed his people, betrayed God. He said, I'll work with Rome to get rich. So you had someone who hated Rome and someone who served Rome and had betrayed his people for Rome, sitting together around a table. You can imagine kind of the heads butting and clashing moments that would have gone on. You had doubting Thomas, who to me must have been the biggest downer out of Jesus' disciples, you know? This guy doubts everything you say. He wants empirical proof. He's kind of a glasses half empty guy. He wants to fact check everything you say. It must have been so annoying to be around. He, maybe that's your kind of guy. You know, maybe you're a Thomas kind of guy. Um, we should chat afterwards. <laughs> and then you had Judas, someone who was stealing from Jesus' ministry fund because he had this weird idol of money going on in his heart. All of these different people with different realities and backgrounds and experiences are together in one group. And these guys messed up all the time, you know? Peter probably being the ideal example. Someone who when Jesus says, I'm going to die in Jerusalem, I'm going to the cross, I've got a few days left, says, never Jesus, not you. Stop it. Stop saying stuff like that. And has to be rebuked by Jesus, you know? You've got James and John who seem to be mommy's boys, who get their mom to come and speak to Jesus and say, Jesus... One day in heaven, please can my boys sit on either side of you, you know? Like ambition for her boys. And they were ambitious. They wanted glory in heaven. They wanted to be seen right in the spotlight where Jesus is. They wanted to be in the action. And you've got Peter again on the night that Jesus would be betrayed, actually denying Jesus three times. And this crew, Peter, James, and John, the night before Jesus' crucifixion, when Jesus says, I need you to pray with me, falling asleep three times, probably on the most important night of Jesus' life. Doesn't sound like Jesus was a great life group leader, hey? Despite what doesn't seem like external success, Jesus thought it is worth it to invest these last three years of my life into these people who are going to be difficult, who are going to disappoint me, who are going to fail me, who are going to frustrate me. We're going to have to have many tough conversations. I'm going to have to pray many prayers. But actually, my dream is that once I leave here, they would be left and they would carry on the work that I began. And Jesus, after his death, Spends 40 days with these guys, resurrected, tells him to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they wait, and they pray. And after Jesus ascends to heaven, they are left behind. And these broken, imperfect, ordinary people, just like the people that we are in life groups with, spread out around the world to carry on the ministry of Jesus and see the kingdom of God advance. It's a very, very inspiring thing. I think Harbor City for us, we want to know Jesus and make Jesus known. He's the center of who we are. He's the center of what we do. And we want to do the things that he did. If this is a priority for him, 
We want it to be a priority for us too. If he thought he could invest what was most important for him to invest his last three years into these people, can we invest ourselves into life groups and into one another too and see the power of community shape us into the type of people he is calling us to be? This Tuesday night, we're having a life group relaunch here in this room. It's starting at 6.30. We'll have some eats and drinks as you arrive. We'll create some space for you to be able to mingle. It'll be particularly helpful if you're new to this church. We would love to see you get connected. We really want to build community. I'll share like a little bit about what life groups are, some different stuff to what I've shared today. And then we're going to break apart into those different groups. And we're going to help you to get connected. I just thought, uh, before I close, can I ask the life group leaders in the room just to stand so everyone can have a bit of a look at you and just see you before we end? Okay, we've got a few guys starting to stand up there. Um, you're not one of the life group leaders. Sorry, I don't want to embarrass you, but just so people aren't confused. Sorry, man. Sorry, I really didn't want to embarrass you there. These are some of the life group leaders of Harbor City going forward. A really, really great bunch. Maybe uh, as we end now and we grab coffee, you want to mingle and find out a little bit more about them. But on Tuesday, we will create space for you to connect with them. Can I ask you to stand up? I want to pray for us in a sec. So I'd love to ask you to close your eyes. But I really do think responding to this word... And to the example that God gives us here in scriptures could be the most significant thing you do this year to help you grow in the church and to grow in following Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you are teaching us and the community that you're shaping us to be. And Jesus, as we look at you, how you invested your time, how you spent your life, what you did, we want to do that stuff too. I pray that you would form us into the kind of community that loves one another, that carries one another's burdens, that forgives one another, that uh, confesses our sins to one another, that practices those 59 one another commands of scripture. I pray, Lord, you would form yourself in us, Lord. And I just pray over these next few weeks, as we break up into life groups, as our life groups start again, I pray that you would help people to get connected, for relationships to be built, and for this church to become the family you dream of it becoming. Holy Spirit, I pray you would fill us even now, that you would help us to take the steps you're calling us to, that you would bless this church, and that you would powerfully form us into who you want us to be. Amen.